0: How strong are the boundaries between society's different social classes? Is there any way to the top, from the bottom, that's both realistic and legal, or is there none at all? I'm Angus Stewart, and you're listening to episode 17 of the translated Chinese fiction podcast. As you might guess from that little intro hook, our story for this episode is Hao Jinfang's Folding Beijing. If you have no idea what I'm on about, you're in for a treat, Uh, especially because the guest of this show, this episode, is Liu Guangzhou, and you'll learn more about him when I get to the interview part of the show. But before that, we have some listener feedback, excitingly. So I woke up yesterday morning and found I had a message on Facebook from someone who I hadn't added before, and was really uh, thrilled to see it was from Jeffrey Kinkley, who is a retired professor and academic of i guess chinese studies um chinese fiction especially chinese literature and he's also done quite a bit of translation work he's what you might call an old hand an old china hand um he was a guy who i i guess spoke to a little bit and encountered at the leeds symposium that i've mentioned previously on the show and uh, without rambling too much uh jeffrey had been listening to the back catalogue i suppose of episodes and had a wee bit of feedback on the, uh, the Ding Ling uh, episode. So I was wondering who Tani Barlow was, I wasn't sure first of all if that's a, a male or a female name. Well Tani Barlow is indeed a woman, and in fact she's a high profile feminist, so thank you Jeffrey, for that info. And there was also the uh, the translator's name, uh, Gary Bjorge, I wasn't sure how to say his last name, Bjorge, B-J-O-R-G-E, but yeah, it's Bjorge. So. Small things, but incredibly useful um, to have these questions I asked long ago, answered by enthusiastic listeners. That is what makes me happy, that's one of the things I do this all for. So yeah. Thank you. Before we start with the interview, just the the plugs, first and foremost. This is a very special episode. This is the first of the Trujafik translated Chinese fiction podcast sci-fi series. Um, we're going to be doing episodes on some very exciting stories. We've got a Han Song short story. Uh, there'll be Wastetide by Chen Xiu Fan. And there will be um discussion of Xia Jia's upcoming uh, collection of short stories, A Summer Beyond Your Reach, published by Clark's World. And I'm not going to reveal who all the guests are that I've got lined up, but expect the best. Um, don't expect Han Song, but do expect the best. There's a clue. Um, yeah. The other plugs, of course, if you want to support the show, there's two places you can do that. There's Buy Me a Coffee slash and that's linked to in the show notes. There you can give a one-off contribution, and for bonus content, uh, you can give a monthly contribution on Patreon patreoncom uh Basically, I'm trying to cover the 100 pounds hosting fee for SoundCloud per year, and those are the two places where you can help me out with that. Of course, the best way to support the show is not financial, it's social. Just tell people about it. There'll be a funny joke at the end of the show where I tell you to tell your dog. Uh, That's a tradition. But yeah, I've I've rambled for a good four minutes or so now, or almost four minutes. It'll be less after editing. So let's stop the rambling and let's get to the interview with our awesome guest, Liu Guangzhou. So I'm on the show with Liu Guangzhou, or on the line with him. Now he's the leader slash member of the Chinese sci-fi club down in London, a.k.a. and sorry if I mess this one up, Juan Yanjiao zai London, and he's also a PhD student at UCL, University College London. He's doing a thesis that compares the British new wave, although asterisk on that, of uh, science fiction uh, with the present and perhaps contentious new wave of Chinese sci-fi, because some people say there is a new wave. Others, notably Ken Leo, are a bit sceptical about that. Uh, but anyway, uh, Guan Zhao is essentially an incredibly cool guy. And I think he's a really brilliant guest to kick off the sci-fi season we're doing on this podcast. There's going to be several more episodes with several more exciting guests. Uh, more about that at the end of the show. Uh, anyway, uh, how's it going, Guan Zhao? Are you OK over there?
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you, thank you, Angus, very much for inviting me for this kind of podcast. Actually, I was peeping at like your previous podcast with yeah the 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 other core cool people as well. They're cool as well, and yeah, I'm really flattered to find my name among like you or whomever you you, you can invite for this type of field. I I can I don't know whom you have invited, but it feels like there's a picture. And there are lots of the big names in that picture and one yes. and, and, and me. So actually, I, I'm, not feel, I'm not feeling that I'm qualified to be with him. But also very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> have you're, me
0: the first, you're really welcome. Uh, podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm doing well. So I'm from University College London, UCL, comparative literature. And I'm currently actually not doing the uh, British New Wave I see, as in the uh, 70s because the British New Wave was a special term to describe people like J.J. Ballard or <clears throat> someone like uh, Mockock or yeah basically in the uh, late 60s and 70s but my focus is basically about there's another term called British sci- sci-fi boom which can date back basically to the uh, beginning of the, 90, of the 1990s right. so we have some like uh, representative figures like China Miéville, like Ian Banks, Stephen Baxter, or sometimes a J- uh, uh, John Harrison can be one of them, and some some other stories. Yeah, in in that kind of case. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing right now about the about the nineties, basically. And for the Chinese part, yes, we call it the uh, Chinese New Wave, also from the nineteen nineties. But um, uh, Ken Liu is not the one who proposed it. I think so no, we, i think he's and,
0: skeptical of the term
1: yeah skeptical yeah we got this Some someone from it's a very yeah important scholar for chinese science, science fiction studies uh, based at whiskey college in boston i, oh, I know it's Song yeah. Ming Wei, isn't yeah. it, Song it? Ming Wei, yeah professor Song Ming Wei. yeah he's quite influential right now and we have a special uh nickname for him as well he he, he was called the, the, the godfather of chinese science oh overseas so yeah that was that name was I think given by uh, Professor Wonderway at Harvard so yeah right. so to, that, make, that makes yeah.
0: three nicknames now doesn't it because he's he's godfather um, Ken Leo is Buddha and Neil Clark of Clark's world is angel is mm-hmm. that right
1: yeah, yeah exactly
0: so we've got a holy trinity
1: <laughs> you got trinity yeah people like trinity in this case
0: mm-hmm. yeah Right. So, how did we meet? Can you tell us a wee bit of that story?
1: How do we meet?
0: Yeah, I you think and I
1: just at the the Leeds symposium back in the last month. October. Yeah. Yeah, I was invited by the uh, and you as well by, I think Sarah and and Francis from Leeds University mm-hmm. to. I forgot the. I forgot the exact name of the center, but basically it's kind of the Lee Center for New Chinese Writing, I that's, guess. That's the one. Yep. That's the one. Great. So they are ha- they were having kind of a th- symposium, inviting also some very famous people like Xia Jia, like Ch- uh, Chen Qiu Fan for Chinese science fiction. Uh, they are the writers, and also for some translators like e- Nikki Harmon, like uh, Michelle Dieter, and also some. Yeah, even more exact names, like uh, Professor Kinky, Kinkley, right? Yep, he was um, there. Yeah, he was there. It was fantastic. And you and me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. So, yeah. yeah I imagine you like in the in the coffee bar.
0: Yeah, um, you were the very first person. I was quite early and was really nervous about all these superstars. A lot of them, not just, well, superstars in the world of publishing, but also they're people i had been writing about in my dissertation, a lot of them anyway. Um, um, yes. just, and yeah, first yeah. person in the door was yourself and you're incredibly friendly. You made me laugh. <laughs> so that definitely helped get you on the show.
1: No, 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 you're the same. You're the first person that met So Just like after a um, very early trend from London-Euston, which, which was even delayed. And to, to Leeds, is a very early train, and I got some coffee on the train and some coffee with you. Mm-hmm. But I still feel really tired on, on, on that symposium. But, yeah.
0: Uh, I was quite fresh. I'd stayed the night in Leeds overnight. But, yeah, was... you, you, you you did a pretty good write-up of the symposium in Chinese on the Chinese Sci-Fi Club's WeChat account.
1: Oh, yeah. That... Do you want
0: to tell us a wee bit about that WeChat account?
1: Oh, yeah. oh uh, That WeChat account is basically... Uh, what I did in London, we, we my friend and I are running a kind of uh, science, Chinese science fiction reading group monthly in London. So that WeChat account is basically so ser- <clears throat> sorry it's serving for uh, the purpose of like promoting the information, writing some reports of the reading group. Who had we 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 had we uh in which we will talk about several chinese short stories and novels as well but also writing some reports uh in terms of the conferences and symposium basically i attended like this one at least and also i've written the conferences at oxford uh lancaster um also yeah here in london burbick as well yeah so that's basically uh technically it is for it, it, it should be it, it should be for the reading group so it's mm-hmm like an official account but currently I am the one who's running it and my friend Angela uh, you didn't meet her at least she, she wasn't there um, she was um, the uh, one of the co- co-organizers with me as well I and mean, she's been responsible for the Twitter and, and basically Twitter and ma- mailing list for the emails so yeah you can like you can we, we are available basically, basically everywhere Facebook Twitter and, and, and WeChat
0: yeah quite approachable, I think. Awesome. I'll definitely uh, take a chance to ask you a wee bit more about the group uh, later on in the episode. Uh, I'm I'm just going to plug, as well as your write-up, Nick Stember did a really good English English language write-up of the symposium. And if you are not a reader, if you just want to digest everything by audio, on this (laughs) uh, podcast's Patreon account, I rambled for about an hour going off my notes, recalling everything I could. So there's that there as well. Now, uh, Guangzhou, is there anything I haven't mentioned about you or your work before we charge into discussing the text, the story for this episode?
1: Yeah, well, well I, I think you have done an excellent research for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, we can continue.
0: Well, thank you for the compliment. And let's proceed. So our story is Folding Beijing, or its original title Beijing Zhe Die, and the author is Hao Jing Fang. This is a pretty awesome story, and Guan Zhao, you didn't write it, Ha Fang wrote it, you didn't translate it, uh, Ken Liu translated it. So although listeners might already be able to guess, uh, what's your connection to this story?
1: My connection to this story? Yeah, as you said, I didn't write it, and I didn't translate it. I wish I did, but I can't. So actually, this story, the name of the story, came to me a it's not very early because I just, I, I the same as you actually, I got this name after it won the Hugo Award in, back in the 16th. Um but I didn't read it right after that. Mm. Uh, I read it like in this year when, I, when my friend Angela and I were trying to set up this kind of reading uh, group in London and that was in April I can recall that that was in April, and we are we were discussing which text we are going to use for the debut And we just came 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 out with the kind of idea that um, the debut novel shouldn't be too science fictional, and it has to uh, it has to get some spe- uh, special ideas on how how can we um in, expand because we have to set the tone for the for our reading group. It, by the debug, we have to set our like uh taste or, or interest in this way. So, we just get we think the science fiction is not only about science or science fiction, the, the so called hardcore science fiction, it should have some um some,
0: some connection to, to our present connection
1: reality to, uh, connections to what we have here and now in our presence. So, we just mm. get this kind of uh, um folding Beijing, which is perfectly match our theme and our thoughts in in that case so we just get uh this one a but i read it and i we discuss it and i write a kind of a report
0: reading group report on the wechat platform yeah so right. that's basically the connections to me with the story right did anything really interesting come out of that discussion you had in the group
1: um yeah we did because that was basically the first one so i wasn't very sure how to run the reading group. So we just get in the room and sit sit in a circle and very friendly actually and flexibly and friendly exchange some idea ideas like have you read have you finished this uh finished reading this story? No, I haven't. Oh but we don't have to. So I just <laughs> I just got like run through the story again, uh full of spoilers actually and they just it basically tells them what the structure of the story um how can we manage to proceed from this kind of structure to get some deeper different meanings uh, hidden uh, behind the surface like um, the uneven the uneven structure the social structure or this of so-called social stratification different classes and how this kind of uh, um, unevenness how, how how is it related to the neoliberal social discourse we are having right now, and what, mm. what, what, what kind of role does capital plays in, in that. And, and yeah, top, yeah, we, we, we mentioned a lot of things, but yeah, if you just, I can't record right now, but I am I'm confident that I mentioned some of the very interesting ideas in the report I I, I wrote
0: for this. Mm-hmm. And just, um, just, just to things. check, oh sorry, what were you going to say? I wish you can read in Chinese. Ah, um, I cannot, uh, but any really determined listeners who can't read Chinese, I'm sure you could find the article and maybe run it through a translator. But if you can read Chinese, then that account, uh, Sci-Fi in China is an absolute treasure trove. Um, Do you also have an academic connection to this story in your own um, thesis?
1: Yeah, I am doing that. I have just submitted uh, my upgrade report uh to my supervisor two weeks ago uh which is not uh, not about story uh which is about uh china Me and and chen with with tide but i'm moving to the second one the second one will be a comparative study between uh the fold in beijing and another one from the british side it's, uh, it's called raft written mm. sorry, written by stephen baxter um well i have because I'm still working on it. I have to still being worried about my upgrade report right now because my supervisor told me he's gonna take a strike. And oh. Yeah. So my upgrade, yeah, could be delayed, uh, or like change the time. I don't know. But um, right now, but next for the next stage, I'm definitely writing about uh, the following Beijing, and I'm still looking for uh, any possible perspective that I can take to engage. Uh, in the both stories because I have to find a kind of equivalence between the two stories, maybe from um, uh, techno-capitalism or uh, unevenness, yeah, things like that, but I haven't decided
0: yet. Um, Yeah. Okay, well, here's the perfect place to crystallize your ideas, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I believe so.
0: (laughs) I'll do my best to challenge you. So, I'll try and quiz you on your um academic angle on the story a little later on but let's look at the actual story itself. So spoilers allowed because I don't think I don't think the plot is the main appeal of the story. I think the setting is the main appeal so I'm okay with spoiling the kind of how where the story goes. So with that in mind, what would you say is the elevator pitch for Folding Beijing or what's the basic premise?
1: Yeah, you're okay about the spoilers because you have finished that, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm ah, yeah. We're both, so we
1: don't, we don't, we don't, we don't care about the spoilers. Okay, that's fantastic. And
0: yeah, and any listener who's not read the story, I'm, I'm judging them. So, <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: Uh, for the elevator pitch, I would say uh, the title itself is a perfect elevator pitch for that story. Mm. In Beijing, if you've got one of the city, can be folded into different spaces. That means you've got boundaries for the uh, different spaces, you have got exclusion in that case, the people are excluded or separated um, into three, yeah, three spaces, and basically according to the uh, ability or capability in engaging this capitalist, capitalist or neoliberal social discourse, uh, in a, I think it's a near future perspective.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to, clarify that for anyone who's not not encountered the story before it is it's a folding version of Beijing which portions society into three classes now that it gives you exact numbers for how many people are in each class I I did not make a note of them but essentially I think about half the city is the the working class the bottom class maybe or no maybe yeah and then maybe about a third or a quarter are the middle kind of white collar class, and then a, the sm- a small portion are your kind of upper ruling class. And it's not just space that's divided, um, time's divided as well.
1: Uh, I would say they are calculated by two days. And the upper class, which is in the first space, they can enjoy like
0: 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So 24 I, hours and again, then I was dumb and didn't make notes, but that sounds about right. Uh, there's...
1: Yeah, yeah, but. But basically i forgot the exact time they can share but basically the uh the upper class the the first the first space can enjoy the time yeah they get natural yeah, light yeah. as well they can go 12 hours i think mm-hmm. and the second the second space go uh eight or so but no 24 24 12 and eight yeah, basically like that
0: the upper class have the best deal
1: yeah you got what I mean by the, uh, the 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 first space can enjoy the most of the time well the bottom the bottom space can just get a bit can can just be, can barely go enough time for their living actually they just mm-hmm. uh, from the limited uh time uh, budget and trying to get things done as long as possible and they are also limited into a very small space. Each, each person can get a very small room and they have to be hiding or stay in the room when the folding, when the folding stuff take, take, take place and they have to in, endure um, this kind of change of the city and they have to sh- sacrifice their space and, and, and time to whatever um, beyond the upper classes, the middle classes. Yeah, things like that. So the space and time are both folded in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but forget about the time, I forgot the time. Sorry.
0: Yeah, same. It's my fault. It's my job to make notes and I did not note these specific things. But I think it's an interesting point that um, Hao Jinfang, the author, she gives you the numbers that divides the time and also the population. It's all quite neatly laid out in that way. And I think that's uh, to the benefit of the story, not the detriment. Um, what you were saying, so I noticed you've said neoliberalism and capitalism quite a few times since we started talking. And that made me, um, something occurred to me that didn't quite come to the forefront of my mind when I was reading the story or rereading it recently. It's just how much of it is about work. Every single character from what, as far as I recall, has a job, even the upper class characters. I don't think we meet anyone who's not working. We meet one upper class character who does, doesn't have to work, but chooses to anyway. Yeah. And then contrast that with your your lower class characters who are all, like you said, they work and then they get forcefully put to sleep by the sleeping guests and that's their life. But yeah, it's totally a story with an economic angle.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because from this story, I would say um, only through working Kind of person being engaged in the society because you have to you have to work to get into this kind of economic activity in the society and you can get some meanings in that society that's your subjectivity you have to keep working and keep like con- keep being connected to this kind of capitalist uh, or uh, the privatized Market and then the society. Otherwise, you will be marginalized in, in, in from mm-hmm. every perspective. You are marginalized from the society. You you can't contribute to this kind of society because you are not working. You are you cannot making or create value um, to the society. Actually, that's the another very important or interesting uh, thing I would like to touch on. Go I, for it. Yeah, because uh yeah we know that the the so-called pillar industry in the third play in the third space is kind of a waste recycling right um but uh, i think at uh, around we're near, near the end of the story when when the main character uh travel uh travel to the upper space and he noticed that uh this kind of a waste recycling industry can be easily replaced by machines by mm. robots. that actually no one need to do it but the africa the so-called upper class people choose not to do it because they have to keep something uh, for this kind of a bottom class to mm-hmm. engage it in it and they have to give some work to them. Although this kind of work cannot or uh, cannot make any additional value to the society, they are absolutely invent and they are absolutely like um, um, insignificant. But so that's that's the a very interesting point in this, case, in this case because for in this story the bottom uh, the bottom uh, class is totally uh, excluded from this kind of social uh, activity. They can't get in connected so social uh, to to mm-hmm. the upper to the upper two classes, and what they can do is just try. It's just limited to. Um, uh whatever whatever they have in the third in the third space and suffering from there, suffering from the limited limited space, but they can't uh, there's I I can't see any uh fluid movement, especially from the third to the upper two classes mm-hmm. spaces. So that's very like uh, very interesting to me at least, because this is the first time I, I noticed that someone are totally um excluded from the society and in this case there are more than half the population of the of the of the uh, whole city
0: yeah i know we meet one character lao Ge, who mm. um is from the the third space so third space being the bottom tier mm. or the bottom fold and he he managed to climb up mm. uh through the army but even found that he had to to keep advancing if i remember right he had to leave the army because you needed family connections to get right to the top so you're you're right that there um it's not at least in the story there is we see one case of a way to get to the top but it's not fluid it's and it's not necessarily fair and it's the army so in a way it's outside of the actual normal economy it's through the state this guy gets to the top
1: Mm, yeah only that one i think from the, the military i think um that's really exceptional because uh, I I can barely recall that he also talked about things like yeah it it can't be happening very often this is mm. only a special case uh, things like that but yeah because if you move up if you move up to the top or even even in the middle sp- uh, class or the or the second space that means you can you have the opportunity to be engaged or to be involved in the social activities, basically, mm. uh, um, basically based on like a, economic activities or uh, capital exchanges, but if you don't have that capital, if you don't have, even because I think someone at the top mentioned that uh, although we have some inflation in the, in the first two spaces, but that kind of inflation cannot travel to travel down to the bottom because they are totally segregated mm-hmm. not, Yeah, people't feel that people won't. Yeah. people won't take part in our economic uh, activities so they mm-hmm. don't feel this kind of a, they, they feel they, they call it the kind of suffering it's inflation.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, it's funny we started off the podcast talking about how we met through um, a symposium and in this in the story there's talk of uh, symposiums and internships as a way for people from the middle to meet the top and sure enough if I hadn't had have had spare money and spare time to get myself down to Leeds I wouldn't have met you and all the other uh, superstars at the um, at the symposium and I'm Able to one reason I'm able to do that is I've moved back in with my, my family, so I'm not. I have savings. I'm not fighting to pay the rent. So it's really quite analogous to our to our real world, not just in China, but I think everywhere these days.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah, not in not just in China because mm-hmm. the the very similar thing. The if you just if you just change the title of the story. Folding Beijing, like you can say, yeah, they fold in London.
0: Of like, course, yeah. Or Folding Paris, it, it works everywhere. Do you so, know the every, the working title of the film adaptation is Folding City? The Folding City, which one? They're going to, or at least there's a plan to make a film of Folding Beijing. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah, and its working title is Folding City. I don't even know that. <laughs> I
1: don't yeah. even know that. So you sound like more expert in this case. <laughs>
0: At least in the kind of uh, business angle, this was a thing I touched on in my dissertation.
1: Oh right, okay.
0: I think there is another Hao Jingfang adaptation in the works, but I don't know. They were saying the same thing about three-body problem, so we may never see it.
1: (laughs) But we will, yeah. Just get some confidence in that. Okay. Sometime, maybe twenty years, you will see something like that.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What you were saying about. the auto the automation so the fact that the all the waste disposal jobs could be replaced it reminded me uh, is a feeling i had first time i read the story a year ago and then rereading it it's the best um engagement with like automate the problem of automation so what what massive numbers of people do when um uh, automatic processes replace their jobs I think I've read some decent you know news articles about it but nothing that really captured my imagination and I know some politicians in various parts of the world um have thoughts about this stuff too um but this is the probably the only engagement with automation and its economic questions that I've read maybe that's because I'm not reading the right stuff or the right sci-fi but um from that angle I think that's one of the st- story's strongest points are the um quite considered thoughts about the future of, you know, mechanized modern economies.
1: Yeah, I think so. The automation, the 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 machines, and the robots in the story, and also in other science fictions, is yeah, it's a very important theme right now for science fiction studies as well. Um, the machines, and and in one way. Because you can talk about the uh, artificial intelligence in, in that kind of case, robotics, and how the machines taking over the world. But in, other, in another, from the, another perspective, you can also talk about this kind of machinery, this kind of machine economy, and its relation to to, to how we deal with the, um, the 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 labor force, the labor force we have, we have right now. Because if you just get um, so many like robots, like in the industry, like they can do whatever. You need to do. They are uh, invincible. They are iron. They are they are very strong. They can do whatever job that human beings can do. So that leaves a consequence. A consequence there: some people will lose it, will lose their job. Some will lose the income source that they can't they, they can't um, uh, get the money for their families. They can't get the enough money for food and accommodation. So that gave us a way for us to think about this kind of labor relation or conflict between 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 machines, automation machines and, and human beings as well. But in this story, I would say, um, what's happened, because this choice, whether you choose machine or, or labor force, human labor force, is a very important labor, on um, a calculation of cost and how much you can earn. If you can, if you, you notice, um, um, one of the ways, like you just uh, introduce automation to your plant, to 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 your company, and it will generate uh, far more profit than it can get from the labor 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 forces. Mm-hmm. So but you will choose the automation as well. but Definitely, you will choose if you are the boss of the company. But if if in the other case, you will choose the uh, humans. Yeah. So. Uh, In that way, especially in many of the science fiction stories, there's kind of a very um, obvious conflict Mm -hmm. in this kind of how to choice, how to to make a choice, how to choose from these two options. Mm -hmm. And that one was um, very closely, because my uh, PhD thesis is uh, a very important part of it, It is about neoliberalism, neoliberalism and is... Uh, science fiction representation in in China and, and, and the UK. Uh, so in that case, um, how do you make a choice? Is very deeply rooted in this kind of neoliberal discourse, and you mm. can get enough money from one of the ways. You will choose there, but other ways, uh, it seems like um, the capital is one of the most um, uh, uh, thing or or element you will you will rely your decision
0: on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just Googling. There's a there's a journalist in the UK and I've forgotten his name. and It's really bothering me. I might have to edit this. There's a writer. He writes a lot about um, these issues from a kind of critical of neoliberal um, angle. Is he called Matt something? Is he called Matt? Uh, oh, dear. I'm going to have to look this up later. No. Um, oh, is <laughs> Editor's note. It's Paul Mason, Paul Mason, I'll put his stuff in the show notes. Yes. So rolling on, um, I've got in my notes here uh, a little fact that three years ago in 2016, Folding Beijing won the Hugo Award for Best Novelette. Uh, the Hugo's being, as far as I'm aware, the premier international sci-fi book awards um, notably Three Body Problem won a I think the top Hugo Prize a few years before this. So um, do you think Folding Beijing is a deserving winner? I guess we probably think it is. But also, how do you think Folding Beijing got that, got that prize?
1: Well, I think Folding Beijing got that prize. is not... Um, it is... Yeah, it is deserving. It is a, it is a very good novelette, especially what come by from, from the English readers, actually. And also thanks to, like, I think, the Ken Liu's translation, right? Mm. This translation was really helpful in this case, but that's the interesting stuff in China because this story is not that successful in China Right. Yeah, I read some comments for that story. Some 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 people like are, uh, are Criticizing basically the quality of writing They think the quality the writing itself is not that that's not that good enough But you know what you know, you know the translation this kind of stuff will be lost uh, mm. To translate from Chinese to English or English to Chinese, the original, the, the writing quality or writing uh, characteristics of the original writer will be inevitably sacrificed from maybe to different degrees, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, things are different. Actually, and, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that will be based on uh, the translator himself, Ken Liu himself in this case, but uh, from the perspective of the uh, story itself, some people, like in China, some some science fiction readers, they would say, the um, this story is a bit too soft from their perspective. and mm. China, hard the so-called hard science fiction is very welcome. Um, yeah, it's always welcome because we have got uh, in China. We have three big names in the uh, hardcore. Uh, oh, yes and you got that so Wang,
0: Jing Kang, Han Song and Liu Cixin, is oh, that right
1: no 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 the uh, Chinese writers i mean yeah, the the Amer- american oh, right. I mean, I mean the western three western big names uh, basically it was um uh, i say Asimov Arthur C Clarke and also Highland yeah they they are the three that were, that recommended mm-hmm. uh, that they were recommended all the time so right. Uh, that's another interesting issue, that Chinese, the taste of the Chinese science fiction readers are basically uh, influenced by the American traditions. Although we have odyssey Clark in C. In, in among the big three names, but odyssey C. Clarke, uh, from the academic perspective, is also very inclined or very close to to, to his American counterparts, to, to the American sci-fi tradition. Mm-hmm. So because of the introduction and translating the translation uh, the western science fiction stories into China uh, because of the, the translation procedure because of uh, the influence of the British science fiction is not that famous in China right now right uh, so that gives oh, uh, part of the reason that why Chinese readers are very uh, interested in sense in the so-called the traditional science fiction science fiction which is only about space and also you have some very solid inventions we call this novel, yeah science fictional inventions. Novel mm-hmm. in the story uh we got something new we got something scientific and that makes it a science fiction but in folding Beijing uh it's not that obvious you've you got this kind of innovation you've got this kind of creation the very essential part of the story is it's setting and it's setting about mm-hmm space how the space can be folded and how yeah. the space represents different uh, social classes and how the uh, space can lead to the social stratification and that's the uh, basically the essence of the story and yeah. that's maybe right now uh, it is a bit controversial for some of the sapphire readers to classify the story into science fiction all
0: ah, right yeah yeah i think we were saying earlier it's quite a precise story when it comes to uh, how time and space are divided up, how the and the description of the economy is i think very sharp and based on real stuff um but the actual science, like for example, I don't know the hinges of how the ground folds that's not what um that's not what Jinfang dives into, and I think the story's better for that, but it's an interesting thing you've pointed out, uh, which kind of leads on to the little very, I think it was just Wikipedia research I did about this story's <laughs> publication history. So according to Wikipedia, <laughs> um, Beijing Zidia, uh, the original Chinese version, was first published seven years ago in 2012 on a Tsing, Tsinghua University's bulletin board site, a BBS, yeah. News, I don't know how you say this, Newsmith, NewsMTH.net. And then two years later, it got into two Chinese magazines. One year after that, it got translated by Ken Liu, found its way into Uncanny magazine, where it's still up on their website. You can read it online for free. That's where I did my rereading. And then a year after that, it made its way into um, Invisible Planets, Ken Liu's uh, Chinese sci-fi anthology, and it was the only story by Hao Jin Fang in there, although there's more in his uh, second anthology, Broken Stars. And it's in Invisible Planets, that's where I read it for the first time. Um. So you've told us a little bit about how the story was received in China. Um, do you know much about its splash on the BBS or in the two magazines it was published in?
1: Well, actually, unfortunately, I I don't know. I feel, I can I, I know the name of the story when when it won the 16 Hugo Award from online basically, and I read the story. Uh I write the story. The Chinese version was included uh, in one of the, uh, monographs or the, the story collection featuring Kong herself and also right. English version from Invisible Planets. So I, if you don't tell me, uh, I won't know about the BBS stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I probably can know about the, uh, original, uh, un- yeah, I know, I know it's something uncanny, but I actually, I don't know where originally in Chinese is it published. Sure. Oh, but I, can, I can try it out. I can train it out about it.
0: Mm. Yeah, okay. i I might go digging. I if I just pop Beijing Judia into Google or Baidu, I can maybe see where it takes me. I found it just in the course of this podcast, it's really interesting to see just how many novels uh that I've done episodes on got their start on not just fiction online fiction websites, but bulletin boards. Uh, the last one I did, unfinished crime, that was a web novel. Um, this one was on a BBS, and um, whoo, leave me alone by Murong Feizun. That one started on like his pharmaceutical company's online fiction website. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, um, it's really interesting to see how much stronger online or like web novels seem to be in China versus in the English language. Do you do you read any web novels, or do you well, are you more of a print and ebook person?
1: Um, I'm not a person very up to the web novels, unfortunately, but mm. it, it, because you were there in the symposium. Oh, yes. Well so, yeah, there's a, uh, a PhD from Leeds. There are two, actually, mm. from the same panel as me, and they are talking about how this kind of Chinese web, uh, web novels are accepted or uh, getting a, a larger attention uh, internationally active. Even and they were they were using data to describe how Chinese web 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 novels are, um, how many readers on it and how how they comment on the stories and what's the difference between the Chinese readers and its international readers. But anyway, anyway, in China we got very very large corpus of online novels. We got several. Uh, really huge plus platform for that but I can only recall uh, one of them is called Jinjiang mm-hmm. and the one um sorry I, I should have got that but you know I really I'm not really good at that
0: oh, um, I know the uh, the Tencent one is QDN that's yeah, the one I, I know can,
1: okay, so, yeah we're good. we got se- several mm-hmm. um, really large platform and you can you can uh, there's a countless literally countless uh, novels written by uh, countless writers even, but we also have, we, we we indeed also have some really big names for the white novels, they are they only published online, they only share their stories on, online, and a few of them can be published physically by some of the publishers, but yeah, basically they are just online. And my girlfriend is very, uh, is a huge fan for online novels, but unfortunately I'm not, but I can ask her about how the <laughs> online literature in China developed. And there's a, also an, another Ph.D. at Soas. Um, my friend of Soas, and she's been doing the uh, online Chinese literature as a literary phenomenon, basically. And she's mm-hmm. doing this kind of um, um, strong female characters in the stories, I guess. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. I can check with her later. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that so they're on sites like Chidian. There's an awful lot of, I guess, what you would say, the kind of stories you'd only find online, like very genre-ish, very made for those readers in that market. But then we also have stories here, like Beijing Jidia, which is, I don't know what I would kind of call it, like amazing literary speculative fiction, also which had its birth on a bulletin board. We also, so, yeah.
1: Another, do you know Three Body Pro- uh, Problem series? Of course. Three yeah. by- and there are fourth one by a different author which is originally uh, oh yeah uh
0: baoshu english oh. name is the Rege- the redemption of time also published by uh tor and head of zeus yeah and the same kind of uh, book cover design as uh, three body yeah so they are
1: kind of how how, how do you call it the four books in series the trilogy after the
0: oh uh <laughs> Quad, quad or Quinn? I think Quinn is Quinn is five, so that would be a quadrilogy, although I think they usually go for series or cycle because it doesn't sound as dorky as quadrilogy.
1: <laughs> mm, yeah, um, and
0: you, you could keep on going. You had six, that would be a sextilogy, seven would be a sept, but then it gets ridiculous, so <laughs> you just say series. Okay. But in theory you could use those words. Um, yeah, so I think we've talked enough about web novels, but... Um, What is my next question let me see oh yes um so this is about the real beijing um i've only been to real beijing twice both quite briefly um although of course i did live in shanghai two and a half years so i've got a little bit of an experience of a mega city and definitely you you can really feel the social divides um huge gaps between not just people of low and high income but like the buildings and the communities it's like side by sides worlds so the question i'd have for you i guess there's two uh have you spent a lot of time in the real non-folding beijing or do you have much experience in even a city like london never mind chinese cities that yeah. rings true with this Absolutely. story by hao jinfang
1: right i have been in beijing several times but none of them is it was longer than three days, I guess. All oh, right. There yeah, to visit to, to to go to the airport and to go to uh, visit some of my friends before going to the airport, and I went to apply apply for my visas everywhere. Basically, that's why I find myself in Beijing. But I have spent I have spent some time in Shanghai with my girlfriend. I spent like uh one more than one year, I think. But that's okay. enough, I, got, I I also live in London for quite a long time. Um, but basically I think this story is, yeah, as I said before, it's not only about Beijing, it's about basically every megacity. It's not only, not, not even to be a megacity, every place in the world actually. Because I read a kind of an interview uh, of Hao Jingfang on um, why she was writing such a kind of story. I forgot where I get that idea, but somewhere, yes. Yeah. And she's, she, 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 said that um, before, before she wrote the story, she was like working in Beijing, and she, yeah, she got very regular life every day, and every morning she just went into the skyscraper, a very tall building, skyscraper, mm. to find her office. And before that, she will say hello to the to the reception. And also she will send, she say like something to get the, uh, the food delivery for lunch and she, she will say thank you, thank you. But she, she, she soon found out that um, these people are actually from different spaces. They are connected by saying this kind of a brief greetings and saying uh, thank you, saying, saying hello. Every day and they are connected, but they are not the same because that is the only way, the hello, is the only worker probably will say to the reception. Even throughout this year.
0: Yeah, as this you mean that's the only standard Mandarin this worker knows?
1: Um actually yeah, that that happens everywhere. Yeah, mm. that happens everywhere. These, this kind of a, because her idea is basically is that although we live in the same city, but we are not living in the same
0: ah, city. okay I, I see. Space it's in simple. an abstract sense.
1: Yeah, that's her point
0: right although we, true. yeah, yeah
1: yeah you you enjoy reception meet every day you can shake hands you can you can do it whatever you like but basically you are from different space and you like uh, some play the place of some people does not belong to other groups that's what she got this why she got the idea so she just came to uh, what if Beijing can be folded into this spaces and put this kind of invisible, because in our life, in our real life, this kind of boundary is invisible, but make this kind of invisible boundary visible in the story and tangible uh, from the experience of the main main characters in the story, and to to visualize this kind of stratification or segregation, actually, the segregation of different social groups, and how they interact with each other, and how they are separated from each other, and how they as a as a city as, a, as an entity all this kind of groups can make up the city from different mm-hmm. perspectives
0: I, even where I'm sitting right now in in the suburbs you, you can feel it because the little little road my mom lives on it's totally middle-class suburbia everyone has a garden this house used to be one floor bungalow but we built into the attic it's now a little two-floor house Um, but just maybe a few hundred metres away, there's a little part of the suburb that used to be the richest uh, mile in the world back when we were an industrial city. There's all these great big, like, almost mansions, some very big houses that factory owners used to own, and now it's not factory owners living there, but it is very well-off people. But if you go in the other direction, the other side of the traffic lights, the other side of the park, so it really is physically separated by quite a couple large boundaries uh, grass and busy roads and traffic complicated traffic lights there's a council estate called uh, Douglas and Mm -hmm. that's got some real well it's I'm sure it's not one of the worst estates in the country but it's got some serious problems and the difference between my nice little suburb Broughty ferry and Douglas is I think you would notice it pretty much immediately Mm -hmm. and again (laughs) if you went from the little suburban or the middle class part into the parts of my suburb with the large houses, but large houses you can see it quite quickly as well yeah but the access is much easier just like in halogen fang stories the separation between top and middle is way thinner with the bottom and the other places
1: actually i can feel i uh, feel the same in london it's more like obvious in london actually if you mm. what if you the one of the three can be really dodgy full of trash and, and, and like it's not that clean, but maybe just one or two blocks away is a very clean area or district for the rich people to, to live in, just like the, uh, the South Kensington where oh, um, yeah. yeah, South Kensington where all the rich people get their house over there, but it also has um, I, I think you know about the, um, the fire of two years ago uh, um, Vaguely? Yeah, there was a, a resident tower on South Kensington. Provided oh, Gren- Grenfell. Oh, Grenfell, yeah. That yes, one. of course, I know Grenfell, yeah. Uh, that morning I was literally wake up, woke up by the helicopters, actually. Yeah, that morning I was there as, uh, as well, but you, but they, they are in the same area. They are not far from each other, mm-hmm. but so you feel this kind of um, segregated boundary from the uh, people from different classes.
0: Yeah, I remember just after Grenfell happened and all the survivors were left homeless, I think uh, the opposition leader or someone in the opposition party Mm -hmm. uh, floated the idea of putting these people up in empty luxury flats that people just owned to rent for holidays or whatever, and almost immediately there was pushback from the wealthy owners of these flats, no way, not going to happen. So it just goes to show even in this horrible tragedy, people try to enforce these boundaries they won't even give refuge to people who've lost their homes kind of kind of horrible uh,
1: because i noticed the concept of boundaries getting famous or welcome this year especially because i at least i got three uh journals or or conferences or symposium they mentioned the theme of the year. this year will be crossing boundary they're trying mm. some of the just a boundary some are crossing boundary like the reading group based at Burbank, the Burbank that we got to London science fiction research community and the reading group for this year for this academic year until the next August will be boundary I guess, because Mm -hmm. boundaries visible invisible tangible intangible but we have to try to break them or it can be broken I don't know
0: yeah Um, I guess a thing that Hao Fang's story doesn't touch on, but that plays into all this, is gentrification when these people live side by side. Um, just a wee recommendation for listeners: there was a really good film just this year or last year from America called *Blind Spotting*, set in uh, Oakland. I think it's that in California, and it's is it, it follows Apple? to... Sorry.
1: Is it recommended to me as well?
0: Oh sure, yeah. Um, if you're interested in this idea of space, yeah. sure so it follows two underclass characters one's a white guy one's a black guy and they have this love-hate relationship with all the various hipsters they have to deal with that live in the neighborhood and it's it, it's like dealt with in the film as a kind of a central focus if not the main theme definitely theme number 2 it's a really good and also very different examination of you know modern inequality and people folded on top of each other in a way, um, which leads into my next kind of topic or question. Um, so if you if you go on Uncanny Magazine and you click on the little bio they've put for Hao Jin Fang, um, there's another piece by her up there. It's an article a nonfiction and it's got a really nice long title, which I'm sure would sound uh, pretty good in Chinese because it's a translation. It's another translation by Ken Leo. So the English title is I want to write a history of inequality. And you can maybe guess from that name, it's a bit of a reflection on the theme of folding Beijing. Uh, In that article, Hao Jin Fan talks a lot about her job. Uh, She works at the China Development Research Foundation, so she's really not just a writer. Um, And at at that foundation, she's tasked with basically studying, researching and making small measures measures to alleviate inequality. I think she's done a lot of work in rural areas, but I'm sure she's done stuff in cities as well. Um, do you know much, Guan Zhao, about Hao Jin Fang's broader concerns, maybe in her other works? Have you read anything else by her?
1: Um, well, I just read like the interview. I just mm-hmm. mentioned about how she has developed this kind of idea of writing uh in Beijing. But basically, I think she's very frank in that essay you mentioned about yeah you want to write a history of inequality because if she just say inequality straightforwardly eh? it means there are some inequalities in China right now and also in every city that can fit in folding, the structure of folding Beijing as well. Because if you got differences there will be there will be in, in inequality. It's actually you've got three different spaces you've got three different
0: classes
1: even sorry, more sorry
0: you you cut out for a few seconds could you repeat what you said maybe for the last five ten seconds
1: oh sorry i just repeat what i said yeah because um i noticed like mm, for for folding Beijing and for every city that can fit in the structure of folding Beijing and there's there there will be inequality in their uh, in their narratives mm. and you've got Different spaces, you got different uh, classes, and you got uh, people segregated uh, from each other. So there will be some difference between different social groups, and you got like that kind of differences. The in- inequality will be in like inevitable in, in, in that sense, because um, yeah, that would that that came to me another story from the US as well, and there's a story. Uh, 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 from Liu Cixin called um like because um, um, unfortunately that one doesn't got the English translation yet. Oh, right. Uh the Chinese name uh because you you know about the taking care of God. Right. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh so just for listeners, that's a Leo Sishun story. It's available in Invisible Planets and also um, The Wandering Earth. It's in both of them. And it's about a race of aliens who come down to Earth, but they all kind of look like a cartoon of God, old men with long white beards and hair, and everyone's got to look after them, a little bit like a Chinese family might look after a grandparent. Mm-hmm. So that's that's looking after God.
1: Yeah, but that one was, what I want to say It's not looking look, looking after God. Hmm yeah it's basically the similar title's called the looking uh after look after looking after humanity actually yeah looking after okay humanity. but the story is totally different the story for the looking after uh humanity is about you go um, um, far from far if you date back to the ancient world the humanity was divided into four parts and uh, so, right now the earth is one of the four parts, and one day there's a kind of a uh, the other we call it the brother civilization came to earth and saying this and telling us a story of their worlds. And it, it was like uh, there's a very rich person who got the entire who can buy the entire planet, everything on it the water, the air, the all the resources was belong to. Uh, that one single person and and he did this perfectly legal because they are very hardworking they know how to make business and they can earn lots of money and they just bought everything on the planet and just get and and jesus uh, and he just sent other other people on the planet away to the uh, to the universe and try to yeah whatever you want to go about not staying here and things like that so it's basically the same thing because you've got uh, the uh, kind of a similar hierarchy uh, as in, for in Beijing as well if you mm. with kind of the social resources you can get the capital and money to get what you want you don't have to take care of the other people
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I, so, I, I, about the in, inequality you, you, we, we have just uh, talked about um, the inequality is basically everywhere if you've got capital there will be inequality in, in it. And also, if you talk about the, um, the modernity we're having right now, the inequality is one of the ancient, essential uh, component of modernity. So if we are living in a modernity, we will have inequality with us. So that is kind of in the in, 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 inevitable in front mm-hmm. that is um
0: For our Chinese-speaking listeners, uh, what's the Chinese name of that Liu Sushin story? shan yang ren lei shan can you can you teach that okay. to me
1: yeah shan yang means shan yang and ren lei is humanity
0: um, okay All human beings and mankind whatever just shan yang shan yang ren lei taking care of humanity thank you very much yeah what you were saying about how jinfang and the old dalio being kind of aligned it seems right that they're both a little bit pessimistic or um, fatalistic in their views, like just about any Leo Sushun story, he's kind of yes. imagining a, a worst-case scenario and everything's kind of a fight for survival. Yeah. And Haujin Fan's not quite the same as that, but in that I want to write History of Inequality, She, you're right, she kind of says inequality is inevitable and if you want to develop an economy, increase wealth, from at least from her point of view, the result one of the results of that will be increasing inequality. And she even framed it uh, in the context of Chinese history. She said a lot of the mistakes that happened at the hands of imperial dynasties was them trying to deal with the inequality and all the wealth that they'd helped to create by managing society. So, I don't know, i I'm not an expert on such things. Uh, it's certainly her view is quite particular. I think you you might there might be plenty of people who'd want to disagree. but, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you make a good point that they're kind of both not optimists in that sense.
1: Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Hauden Fong, at least in this story, gets some optimistic ideas and, and it's not, definitely not an happy ending the story, at the end of the story. Yeah, because, um, yeah, in this story, another, another thing I found really, really interesting is about the main character named Lao Dao, right? Lao no, Dao, no, yeah and And it and it's step step daughter right
0: adopted daughter, I think
1: okay, adopted daughter, okay um yeah, because he wish let's just say his daughter can shall we yeah
0: it's easier yeah
1: it's easier, yeah, yeah, because Lao La really wish his daughter can get a very good education, and he really wish his daughter can be get. They move up to one of the upper two classes actually, but there's kind of a model, there's kind of a target because i Dong not a kind of a Chinese, a very young lady, right, in the in the top space. Uh, her name her name is Ian, and mm-hmm. she is basically the the one you mentioned. Like she doesn't have to work, but she choose to work
2: mm-hmm.
1: in in the first in the first space, and she's married, but she's also have some rumors or affairs with the with the boy from the second space. Um, basically, that one, that kind of image, the image of upper class young lady, is what Lao Dao wish his daughter to be in the future. so uh, yeah, getting education, so getting whatever he can to make to to get, him, to, get her do- to get his daughter to get his daughter a a promising environment. To, to move up to, to do this kind of stuff. but uh, he doesn't Lao doesn't like Ian in that case. He, he think he thought Ian was basically kind of a puppet. He, mm-hmm. Ian have a strong agency or reactivity in creating his, her own values, but still he wish her da- his daughter can be in this way because only in this way can, can a person really be attached to the social matrix and to the social discourse, and, and they can really get some, or create some value to themselves even, and also to the society. So that is oh, something I found really, like, uh, really a, a satire, or satire, uh, satire in this case,
2: mm.
1: only you have to uh, see, like, your daughter to become a, a kind of image you don't like. But only this kind of, the, uh, you don't like image can be the one that really functions in the society.
0: Mm, that is an interesting take. Uh, the thing that popped into my head on the reread about his wee daughter, I forgot her name. I know it's it's the same word twice, but yeah. Anyway, his his daughter. Um, I remember it says he wants to get her into not just a normal kindergarten, but a kindergarten with music classes, because she seems to innately respond really well to music. She loves to dance about. Mm. Um, And it it reminded me of my own experience working as a a foreign teacher in China, where a thing you notice straight away about um, Chinese parents, or at least the ones you come into contact with, is they want their uh, kids educated from the get-go, the starting kind of entry to education, the bar is already high. And yeah, um, We've got- you, you can see that Lao Dao has this goal. He's got these aspirations. But like you're saying, the odds, are they seem to be really high, heavily stacked against him and his daughter, even if he does manage to secure some money to get the kid into the, the nursery. It's not clear that that's going to lead on any skyrocketing trajectory right to the top.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, because we, in China we've got a special term for this kind of competition. It's called uh, to win at the starting point or start. Oh. Yeah, because you uh, from the very early of the uh, early stage of the children education, like the nursery, like the primary school, you have to make sure that uh, your children can get something special.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh like in this case. Uh, his daughter like to dance. Well, okay, we we will find some place uh, where get the you where you can learn some yeah dancing skills or, or some musicals or some um, um, other like calli- calligraphy or other. If you are a bit talented in math, we got some math
0: special really
1: special math classes. In China as well. I,
0: I so, wonder if I can be annoying. Can you teach me that phrase to win at the start? Uh, to 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 win at the starting or start line or starting
1: line in English? Yeah, yeah because yeah, that's just kind of a race. Mm-hmm. It, from the race uh, be, before it starts, there's kind of every everyone uh, was lined up and waiting for their whistle, right? Uh, but someone, if you've got some special skills, you can move your starting line. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah,
0: in advance. How many, how how do, how do you say that in Mandarin? Is that a four character phrase or?
1: Oh, it's not uh, five character Five od- characters. Okay. Like, ying zai like win at.
0: Ying zai lai... 起跑, like. Chi pao like the running race. Okay. Yeah. Ying zai. Chi. Oh no, sorry, I lost it. Ying zai. Ying zai. pao xian. Ying zai. Chi pao xian. Yeah, yeah, that one, exactly. OK, I shall look that up after we're <laughs> done talking. Um, yeah. yeah, it's funny how that manifests where I'm from in Miami middle class neighborhood is also related to space. So in Dundee, we've got one private school. All the other schools are state schools. So mm. generally speaking, among the kind of society I'm or the part of society I'm from, there is not really a great rush to try and get into the private school because it's very expensive. Okay. Um, the the competition is more which catchment area of the school, state school, your kid goes to, because some of the state schools are better than others, although they're all free and guaranteed. So the real competition is where you get your house, because oh, the... being in the zone of the best school gets your kid into that school and in theory gets them a better education. So it's probably less intense than China, but I think it's there's a similar thing just manifested in a different way, according to the system.
1: It is the same thing, actually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because in China, you, you know the hukou system, right? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, everyone was registered according to where they live, and that's the reason. Because also in China, we got uh, right now we got very strict like school registration system. That it's really difficult if you I- to get into another school which is which which not belongs to the area you're living in. So that's basically where you buy the house, where you buy the apartments. It is the direct, one of the direct reasons, or uh, reasons, um, or the one of the direct influences on um, where your children have better education. So that's what we call, um, I, I'm not sure if I can translate into uh, uh, the right or proper English term, but mm-hmm. I would try that was called, uh, we call special, we call uh, some, um, uh, host or host, uh, houses or apartments located in a very good area in terms of schools and education and they are called uh, 学区房, like educa- you can just call it education areas, uh, houses or apartments.
0: 学区房? No,
1: no, no, 学区.
0: Oh, 学区房, okay.
1: 学, 学, you can say it's a school, like education, 学. 区
0: uh-huh.
1: is area, Okay. and 房 is house. Like,
0: yeah. Oh, lots of good vocabulary in this episode.
1: <laughs> the Chinese class.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Nice. Um, I have to pay you some money. Wow. Um, so here's a couple of terms. Um, I want to get on to talking about the actual story and food jumped out at me on my first reading and the second. So I noticed in third space, the, the dish that I would really want to eat uh, that, that's described more than once is, I think Ken Leo's translation calls it hot and sour soup. I would imagine that's probably Swen la fun. Um mm-hmm sour spicy noodle soup um but in the up in the middle zone I think we only get one description of food and it's uh it's maybe the most sci-fi th- well aside from the folding city it's maybe the most sci-fi thing it's a machine that just makes some decent looking food for you although it, I don't think it's specified what the food is but then once we get into first space I noticed the the Chinese food vanishes the food we see is um I guess there's San Wen and there's San Wenju, there's salmon and there's sandwiches. so there's Japanese sushi and Western like snack food. so if it, it felt to me if there was anything going on there, it, it was that there's a little bit more authenticity in some ways to, or or a little bit more locality down on the the first the the lowest tier. and then the higher up you go, the more globalized and international and kind of homogenous things get. D- did you get the same impression, or do you think I'm talking nonsense?
1: Oh, but I didn't, I haven't thought about that, uh, frankly speaking, but I would say it's a very interesting uh, approach, if you just see the story from that perspective. Uh, Yeah, I I would say that um, also, because it depends on which kind of uh, venue can you find these foods, like the swan la from the bottom, from, from the bottom space, it's basically a street food. In China, you don't usually sell sandwiches as no. street food, right? You, you won't buy it, if you, if you
0: were, right? Yeah, No, if, um, if, I think I, the only cheap sandwiches I got in Shanghai were ones from like Family Mart and they're not really, ah, they're a bit strange
1: they the sandwiches, but not from the street food
0: No, 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 never, no uh, From
1: the story at least, the description of food uh, in the third space is basically street food
0: street food yes street. no one no one's cooking for themselves cook um... just
1: a very like a yeah, simple restaurant and you can eat from the restaurant yeah, thing it basically stuff like that but if you come up to uh the first space basically the story was talking about this kind of conference right or symposium and you're yeah. offering some food and they, they these are really fancy food i forgot the uh the details about mm-hmm kind of a, which kind of foods have been served in that symposium. But I would say um, the sandwiches and also other like some kind of a westernized food in the first place yeah. It's kind of a um, label for this kind of a globalization and you get some connections to the rest of the world and you get something different. But If you lack that kind of a connection, you will only have what you have already. Which is so enough and all the Chinese street foods.
0: Um, in this case, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I think we we touched on it briefly the the inflation. This is something I think I missed in the first reading, and it jumped out in the second. So you you notice straight away that things the the amount of UN people are paying for things is higher than they'd be paying now. I guess because we're in the future and inflation is real. But then we learn uh, that inflation. By the way, the economic system works. Inflation has kind of been frozen in the third space, and in the first two, it's accelerated. But I, as someone who only has a very basic knowledge of economics, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of that. Um, did it jump out at you any more than it jumped out at me?
1: Well, about the inflation, we have to talk about that. Um, I noticed that, yeah, when I when I was just when I was just. Uh, reading the story for the first time because it really came to me uh, from the perspective that uh, the inflation is a mark, is a, is a marker that uh, that that means that um, this kind of a, a people or a community in the third space or the bottom space of, the fold, of the, uh, uh, in, in the fold in Beijing is that they are totally segregated from the any kind of social activity from the upper two spaces. And it, it, especially from the economic perspective, and because it, the inflation should be something uh, universal to society, and by technically, technically, it's kind of a the rising of price comprehensively in or universally in in, in price. And it, but this kind of a change, this kind of a, uh, in some cases, the inflation can be a normal phenomenon. But even the normal phenomenon, all this kind of some some kind of a really serious uh, inflation in the society cannot be uh cannot be filled, cannot be failed by um, the the bottom the bottom people because the, they are not able to get access to the capital itself. Mm-hmm. If they are away from the capital capitalist system, they won't feel, they won't be feeling anything about the inflation. They won't be right. feeling anything about the economic activities that keep every uh, every players um, in the game. They're out of the game.
0: Right. Um, speaking of the game, um, so we've talked quite a bit about third space and first space, the bottom and the top classes. But again, on on this reread, a thing that I picked up on more was the, the second space characters we meet who are... The impression I got is they're, although they seem to be living in a very comfortable environment, they're also whether it's by necessity or more by the ideology, they all seem to be working themselves quite hard. They don't seem incredibly comfortable in that sense. And I think every middle second space character we meet, with the exception of one guy who's, I think he's sitting on his floor and playing video games, everyone else is suited up for work and is work, 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 work. Um, Do you have many thoughts about that?
1: Well, that is basically a very uh, realistic reflection of what China is right now, especially in the big cities. Mm. And yeah, because especially for middle class and young people, um, and I I think I thought it's a few months ago. There's a debate, social debate, on whether the young people should be working. We call it nine nine six. It's called from nine a.m. to nine p.m. Oh, this is
0: Ma Yun said something about this, right?
1: yeah 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 yeah. it's nine and six or in some cases it's even worse you have to like it's called the zero zero seven you get that <laughs> yeah but um some especially the bosses from the from from the big companies they will encourage the, the especially the young people saying that if you, you're young you should be hardworking and you should uh get the value for the company and you should get the dreams and some kind of dream that you you will be respected for your contribution for the society right now, but that will see in the future. But in that, you have to keep working to get your, to sacrifice yourself to this kind, to burn yourself, metaphorically of course, um, uh, to to make the society a better place, or even to make the company a more successful one. And that means that you have to make money for me, and you make money for me, make money for me and you have to sacrifice and um, But the more very important, very interestingly, like, some people do buy this stuff, and they really believe in that way. Mm. They believe that as a young person, uh, we got extra like energy that we got time, and we should be spending this time in creating values. Well, so that that is basically what was um reflected in the stories that people keep working and people keep like refreshing their cv's basically i'm yep. doing this i doing this because i want to write a few a few sentences on the cv to make it better to make it feel better
0: oh it's too real <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's, yeah that's
1: one that's why part of the reason why i got the latest symposium yeah yeah, yeah. I don't anyone yeah
0: and not yep. the symposium <laughs> is on the CV, or if it's not on the CV, I try and shoehorn it into interviews <laughs> or the covering letter.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So that's basically what we all are doing right now. And mm-hmm. that, yeah, that from some perspective, is is kind of a digitalization of of human, of a, of a humans subjectivity because our value are mainly depends on the words and sentences we put on the paper. We put on the CV paper, mm-hmm. especially to circulate the CV online and send, send a message, send an email to your to your supervisor, saying I, I want to do I want to do this. I want to do, I want to take this job. And your supervisor like, well, just read the sentence, read, read the sentences you wrote for the CV and determine yeah whether you to give this job or not. So that's so one of the way one of the ways that people are reduced that uh, people are reducing the uh, the subjectivity into the data into the labels and symbols or words and sentences and basically and uh, eventually to the discourse itself.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've got three points on that. So one is uh, I was looking over my CV recently and I noticed in the address part. So mm-hmm. the address I'm at I'm assuming no listener is going to come and attack me is Five Claypots Place. And I noticed that the L as well as the P in place was capitalized. And I was like, oh, my God, I've sent this thing off with an extra incorrect capital. Has that lost me chances? Quite possibly. Because um, no. it's, it's publishing companies. So, like you said, one sentence, even one letter could, <laughs> could ruin it. And no. um, the other thing about becoming a digital self or digital CV self is, um, one of the symposium people recently found me online, it was uh, Jeff Kinkley, and he told me the first place that he found me, Um, I don't know how he went about it, it was LinkedIn. So I thought I was hoping the podcast would be easiest to find where I actually talk about it the most, Um, SoundCloud or Twitter or Instagram, places where I'm not completely a robot, but it was actually LinkedIn, the digital CV that he found me on. That's- um, there was a third thing. Oh, yeah, uh, I think it was notable that the second space characters we met were all 20-somethings. Mm. And I think maybe in the first half of their 20s as well, really quite young.
1: Mm, yeah, possibly. Possibly, yeah. Also, because I, I can recall you talking your talk about the address and the CV. Actually, that was some techniques because it feels really different to your address like the King, uh, South, Kensington, South Kensington. I like your dog. Yeah.
0: Oh, he's outside. Why is he going crazy? Uh, and I if, think my little sister just got home, so it's been <laughs> crazy.
1: Okay, lovely. Yeah, because if you put your address in, uh, in South Kensington on the CV, it feels really different if you put somewhere like uh, New Close,
0: uh somewhere around London, suburb, not that. Right. Well, my problem is Dundee. I'm applying to London. London people don't know where Dundee is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's not your problem. Your Indeed. Problem. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what I tell myself when I'm <laughs> shaking my fists and crying.
1: No, they don't. Yes. <laughs> some people are quite yeah yeah secretly speaking a bit arrogant. I can fit that, and they they don't take uh, they don't care about the people from the outside London, the pan London area, London and yeah. uh, metropolitan.
0: I was um I was looking at a job ad for a, I think it was an internship or something in London, and it 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 had like a bit where it's like type in the city you live in, so I put Dundee, and then it says choose an area in a drop-down <laughs> list with a set number of options, and all the options in the drop-down were just places in London. No. So, okay. So you could put your own city, but then when you were saying which part of the city, only London options. So I don't know how that happened, but I guess it's emblematic of that attitude. Uh, some people call it the, um, the fifth country in the UK. Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland, London.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Holding <laughs> <yeah>. London. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you can write you can write something about that.
0: I should yeah, some anfic online.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Um. Next next question. So this is about real China and real real Beijing. How relocating from one place to another uh, is a, a kind of a hardness, and it made me think a wee bit about the other Chinese piece of Chinese sci-fi I'd read just recently, which also has these migrant workers, uh, lower tier people dealing with relocating, um, and it's tide by Chen Chiu Fan,
2: mm.
0: also who was in attendance at the symposium. And I noticed as I was reading our hero, Lao Dao, he deals with trash and recycling, just like the characters in Waste Tide. Mm. Um, I don't know, I don't really have a specific question, but do you have any thoughts about uh, the theme in not just this story, but other Chinese sci-fi of migrant workers and their relationship with waste?
1: Well, yeah, the most representative example in this case will be Change of Finance with Tide.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, as you say, because I was working on, I was I was writing about uh, Change of Finance with Tide for my upper report, and I was trying to discuss this kind of uh, the the conflict between the migrant workers and the local people. And there's still a kind of a boundary, yeah, there's a boundary between them. And, and because I was trying, because I thought, I think I I mentioned about the uh, West Tide and migrant workers and native people in the East and posting as well. And now mm. I'm trying to yeah, a, adopt one of the one of Foucault's idea about heterotopia, the place of otherness, to 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 conceptualize this kind of com- comfort and, and 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 especially their relation, their relation between each other, their relation between uh, humans and and, and wastes, etc. Yeah, the migrant workers is uh, one of the very important um, academic academic topics, both mm. for literature and also for sociology, for linguistics, even.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a
1: really important theme.
0: I, I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot of the listeners to the show know a little bit about what the term migrant worker means in the Chinese context but if you don't and you're interested in learning about the country uh, more broadly just stick in Chinese migrant workers into into Google it's um it is another it's, it's just a completely different concept from what a migrant worker is in the UK and I'm sure a lot of Europe um, and the Hukou system as well, H-U-K-O-U. If you don't know about Hukous, it's well worth looking into. Um, we are we have been going a while, so um, I'm going to zap ahead ever so slightly to asking you a little bit more about uh, Kehuan Yanjou Zai Lundun, the Chinese hey. sci-fi in London group.
1: A lovely reading group.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so we've, we've done the elevator pitch for... Holding Beijing, could you give us an elevator pitch for the group?
1: Um, if you want to read Chinese science fiction in London, that is the place you go.
0: How is that? That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if you wanted to find the group, um, what's the best place to get in touch digitally or in person?
1: Um, in person, that's me. Yeah, in person, that would be me and my friend uh, Angela Chen, and she's she works the uh, she was a student from Kings, and she's been really interested in climate change fictions. and she's running another uh, artistic platform a thing called worm it's called w-o-r-m dot o-r-g where mm-hmm. she, she where she like she, she she she's the uh a kind of a curator a really experienced curator on the creating many kind of artistic projects where you can which you can find on her, pl- uh, on her website. But for the uh, science fiction uh, reading group, the uh, Chinese science fiction, London Chinese science fiction reading group, we are also available on Twitter, on Facebook. We've got a mailing list. And also, mm. if you got got WeChat, the most convenient stuff is to just contact me and, and to follow our, our uh, um, WeChat official account, which is SF in London. You search for the official account because we have to search on the official account uh searching
0: area you can find
1: it but not 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 the area try to find some
0: uh Yeah. yeah um can i share your uh wechat id with the listeners if that would be helpful for them yeah i think so yeah yeah it's lovely right so i'll pop it in the show notes yeah my wechat id also uh probably the id for for the uh platform Okay, that will be in the show notes for you guys listening uh, if you want to add Guan Zhao on there. Um, so you've told us how the group began. Um, have you done any really amazing things? And do you have any really amazing things lined up in the future?
1: Well, the really amazing things, uh, apart from the monthly reading group, which, is, which all are amazing, but we have managed to invite Chen Jioban in August to give a, give a talk on um, on um, his thoughts about waste recycling and also about waste the story itself. And that was in back in August of, and, and and sadly he wasn't here like specifically for us. He was traveling to Dublin for the World Science Fiction Convention. But um so we still feel very like honored to having have him here, have him here to, to give a very yeah very enlightening in and inspiring speech Uh, lecture on this kind of topic. And also we are trying to um, to organize a kind of a a conference, science fiction study conference on on specifically on Chinese science fiction somewhere in London. Well, it is a very brief idea. We have Mm. to to talk about that in more details uh, in the next few next couple of weeks, I think. So because we hope to have this conference uh, in in next summer in, in in next year summer or or September or October some some sometime around that so that means we have to came uh, came came up with the uh, uh, call for papers as soon as possible and to come to the possible uh, potential uh, keynotes yeah but that was definitely on the table so we are thinking about that and that we sounds are, awesome uh, we are trying to push it so you are definitely invited. Oh hell yeah! Paper. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yep. I'd go to London for that definitely. Um, you've told us how the group began. You've told us awesome things you're doing. Uh, what kind of people attend? I'm very curious about this.
1: They came from a different perspectives, and they got each of them got a different background. Some are students, some are working, some mm. are Chinese related whether they are born in Britain or in China or some or, or any other uh, places in the world, and also some people from different um disciplines. Um disciplines like some yeah, we've got literature students, we've got uh students from based in education, based in, in, in scientific stuff, based in um everything. Yeah, basically it's it's everything.
0: That's the best possible answer. Awesome. Um, like the, couple uh, challenge. Oh, sorry. What were you saying?
1: No, no, no. I, I like the diversity of the mm. participants. It's a really like wonderful, like, uh, appearance to have really good, you meet different people from different,
0: uh, absolutely different, different places and backgrounds. Crossing boundaries, you might say. Exactly. There you go. Um, so on the topic of crossing boundaries, here's a couple of snappy questions. Uh, first one, what would you say to a science fiction fan who isn't yet interested in Chinese sci-fi?
1: Mm. Um, <laughs> this is a really large question. Indeed. I will say that Chinese science fiction is a bit different with uh, the so-called uh, the science fiction stories the Western traditions. Well, I, I I know the British sapphire and the American sapphire is very different from each other, but basically the Chinese the Chinese uh, version of sensation stories is different from all of them. Mm. Special, you can you can call it exoticism, maybe, uh, sure, sure. or it's just got something different. And you uh, you if you read really, it, you will feel differently that's the experience, it's something experiences you can't get from, we can't get from a and you can't get from a uh, PKD. you can't get from Ballard, uh, 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 etc. But mm-hmm. the Chinese is Chinese, and you have to try it until you know that you like it or not. Just try it, and uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's so many books you could point someone like that to these days. Uh, I think... Even just a link to this story on on Uncanny magazine would be a good entry point to Chinese sci-fi. Or um, if so, if they like hard sci-fi, I guess three body problems the way to go. Or even if it's something maybe a bit more, I don't know, international, there's waist Tide. So the options are in translation are expanding and that and that's great.
1: West, uh, so yeah. Tide is also very good for those who are interested in
0: climate stuff. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Eco sci-fi. A second snappy question: What would you say to someone who just refuses to read any sci-fi at all? Do you think you could try and win them over?
1: <laughs> well, I I normally if I if I meet uh, some people uh, don't read or refuse to read any any science fiction instead, or don't know about any science fiction, they refuse to read. No. Sorry, yeah. Oh,
0: what did you say? They refuse to read the science fiction, or the yeah okay but they're actively um against it and you need to change their mind um well yeah normally i won't change their mind would you would you try Uh, oh
1: yeah um science fiction is uh, um i would say science fiction is not about science and Mm -hmm. this is the kind of alternative platform where you can uh play um play play everything we have right here and right now and to give it this kind of speculative um possibilities where you because science fiction is only it's basically about the alternatives and you, you are creating alternatives you are um um uh, 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 expanding the alternatives, which is a very important supplement to what, what what is called the mainstream literature, talking about the realistic world. We have to keep that kind of, a, uh, because normally people will say about imagination about science fiction, but I won't say about imagination. I will just say it's a different world, it's a, 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 a about alternatives, and this is a very good way to, to change the reality. Absolutely,
0: well said. Amen. (laughs) Uh, So we've talked a lot about your group and the book. Now I'd like to ask some things about you since you're the guest. So, um, Guan Zhao, when did you first really connect with sci-fi? Do you remember?
1: Oh, yeah. There's a very um, impressed event for me, uh, uh, actually.
0: That's exactly what I want to
1: hear. Yeah, that was, uh, I think I was 10. When I was three years, when I was taking the three uh, grade in the primary, the third year in my pre- primary primary school, mm-hmm. so I was um, at my um, a grandparents' home, and then my mom came with a book. It's called. It's, it's from Jules Verne. It's about I forgot the I forgot the English English title for that. It's kind of a, a submarine. Oh, Oh, uh, Ten Thousand Leagues Under the Sea exactly that one so right, i read that one over and over again so i just came yeah science fiction is my stuff so cool. but, but after that i wasn't like spending too, ma- too much time in reading science fiction but i always keep that idea in mind sooner or later i will do something for or about science fiction
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: this is a very long time
0: <laughs> yeah it's fair i think my my intro to it was maybe a little more gradual, because as a teenager, mm-hmm. a lot of the... the Well, it was called teen fiction at the time. It's oh, now okay. called YA. Uh, it's the same thing. A lot mm-hmm. of that stuff that I read was fantasy or sci-fi or horror, mm-hmm. but I didn't think of it as sci-fi per se. It was just stuff I liked. And Then I became older and thought I had to read serious books and turned away a little bit from these more magical things. But um, when I was becoming, quote-unquote, a bit more serious, I read a few... HG Wells books. The first mm-hmm. one, I was definitely still in high school, and it was just before the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds came out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, HG Wells War of the Worlds, I think that's that was an excellent intro, I suppose, to early sci-fi. A little bit like you and your Julius Verne's, just I was much older. <laughs> I think I tried reading 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea when I was a kid okay. and, and couldn't do it. It was no. too too big. And it was it's one big. of these very small editions, the text, the font. Was really squished together and small. Yes,
1: I see. I see. I can read the book because it's a a, 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 a kind of a children version. Oh, it's okay. A pictures inside. It's simplified. Yeah, yeah. I, young
0: Angus could have done with some more pictures. Oh, you can, young
1: Angus can do. <laughs>
0: um, so, we've we've uh, established your first connection with sci-fi. How about your first connection with domestic sci-fi, Chinese sci-fi?
1: Um. Domestic sci-fi, actually, the first one they came across is three-word problem, right? I was spending some time in reading this kind of American or British science fiction stories and not that focused on uh, the so-called domestic Chinese science fiction. But after the uh, 3 Body problem, I, I started to look into this kind of Chinese science fiction because I suddenly noticed there are so many things, so many fantastic stories just, surround, just around me and mm-hmm. I didn't notice
0: very shiny right yeah as the, my entry point to chinese sci-fi was the exact same i just saw some article about three body oh, really? it gave yeah i think i might have said this on a previous episode with someone else but um because this was kind of my entry to all translated to chinese fiction but the article described it said it was making it out like it was describing the plot of the first book but it was really more the uh the dark forest plot about racing to catch up with mm-hmm. the um approaching invaders and i thought wow this is um this is a premise i really like and so i yeah so i guess we had basically the same entry point um three body i'm sure that's the same for a lot of people
1: uh, we are comrades
0: yes what is that uh 統治, right?
1: Tongzhi, right
0: yeah yeah 科皇統治.
1: no 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 don't no. say Tongzhi in a very frequent in daily conversation because they sometimes they will mean gay man uh-huh, yeah so is there, What's a
0: better word? sounds to me a bit weird. Yeah, don't do it. Right. Kohan Pongyo, or is that too cute? Yeah, that's
1: cool, that's cool.
0: Okay, sorry to freak you out there.
1: No, oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, just uh, Chinese. Yeah, just like a British culture, I'm still suffering from that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So you've talked a wee about your thesis, and we touched on how your, your next chapter is going to be the chapter with Folding Beijing and that British book, is that correct? Yeah. So do can you describe your where that chapter is going to go or or is it still formulating is it better if we skip this topic
1: i still don't know actually i'm just i'm still trying to finish the other the other one the raft the british one I'm going to compare
0: okay uh, can you my... tell us a wee bit about raft then
1: the raft is a uh, very it, it was published as the, you do know the master works the, the seven works the kind of series and it's a publishing scales. Or?
0: Uh, I am
1: afraid I don't. No, you don't really. I'm a fool. You there's a kind of I'm trying to find the name of the uh, publisher. Um, no, I can't forget it. Oh, Just,
0: it it's uh, not because they're obscure; it's because I'm ignorant. Yeah, no, no,
1: because there's like a, a one single uh, publisher trying to yeah collect all the classical Star sucker stories and make uh, new editions of them. Okay. So it's so one of them. So that was published in 1991, which is right at the beginning or right at the uh, very early stage of the uh, British science fiction boom. Mm. This one was basically about also about uh, the segregation of spaces because in a in a very special universe, Stephen Baxter got a series of his universe called Zeele X E E L E E Zeele universe, and in 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 this book, the uh, some people are living on the raft which is a kind of a, it used to be a space spaceship and all the technology
0: um uh, life support dog singing a song for you uh,
1: thank thank him yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank him. yeah i really enjoy it <laughs> yeah okay uh some people are living on the raft which is a real to some degree that resembles the first or second space in Beijing and also some people living on the belt which is basically the bottom uh, the bottom line, the bottom space in, 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 in Beijing as well. But the mm. difference is uh, the belt and the raft in some cases are still connected and they have to do some business uh, between each other. But in food meeting, you know it's definitely it's absolutely excluded from each other right um mm-hmm. so that is a, a kind of difference so all the space segregation all the kind, a kind of a different classes, social stratification but in to in from some perspective they are still different so that's the basic reason why i wish to set up a kind of equivalence between each other to
0: fund or to make a comparative yeah basically that. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of times that Raft, that that book is, was part of the 90s British sci-fi boom. Mm-hmm. And we also touched on how in the 70s there was a new wave of British sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So although this is pretty off topic for the show, I think it's it's interesting and it's something I don't know about. So what's the difference between the 70s new wave of UK sci-fi and the boom in the 90s?
1: Oh, very good question, which can lead you to academic.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yes
1: yeah uh the the british british we actually we don't usually call it british new wave we just call it new wave oh right it's, okay yeah which is it's kind of an international phenomenon uh where because before especially uh before the sixties that's the forties and fifties and and science fictions are basically equivalent to um the space shift, the spacecraft, right, Mm -hmm. also the, 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 uh, like, just like the uh, Isaac Asimov, the foundation series, about the universe, about, yeah, it's kind of a space opera, yeah, space opera is quite famous during this period, but from the new wave, especially people like, uh, I think, yeah, I think it's Michael Moorcock, or, uh, J.G. Ballard, yeah, people Mm -hmm. like, starting to say that science fiction is not about this kind of uh, the huge or macro stuff, it's about the human ourselves. So we have to look into the ourselves and write science fiction is about, uh, about ourselves, about the near future, about the humanities. So that is the, when the science fiction is, is gradually becoming soft. Yeah, mm. yeah, metaphorically soft, called hard yeah. science fiction actually we don't have a term called soft science fiction but we just use the term soft to distinguish this kind of new word science fiction from
0: the hard science fiction which is represented by the space opera yeah so at one end of the spectrum spacey physics sciencey big and the other end of the spectrum more psychological human (laughs) less science less space smaller scale general that's the general dichotomy right
1: yeah and in, from the 90s, uh, there's kind of a, two major uh, branches of the British Sapphire born. One of them is called the New Space Opera because the space opera was not that famous during the New Wave uh, period. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. have a new, a, a new a so-called New Space Opera, which is because in the traditional space opera, we've got especially the Star Trek, you know the Star Trek?
0: Mm, of course, yeah.
1: yeah. Star Trek is a very typical uh, space opera. Uh, I mean, it's a television a television program, that's still representative. It yeah. called, it's basically called, uh, people are, are trying to expand or proliferate their own values to this kind of other uh, beings, or to yeah, it's,
0: it's quite grandiose vision.
1: Yeah, 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 there's kind of very like very obvious conflict between the self and the other. But um in the new space opera, this kind of uh, boundary between right and wrong, between hero and villain are becoming uh less obvious. They are blurring. Mm-hmm. Like this hero can be villain at some point of the story, but they are they can the we can feel a kind of uh, struggling uh, in the heroes. We can feel this kind of hesitance. Uh Every, everything like that. So the heroes becoming um more ambiguous. So the ambiguity in the uh, uh the new space offer is one of the very important um um you can say you can say it's kind of a um how do you call it elevator what elevator pitch. Oh the elevator pitch, yeah. Elevator pitch. And the other branch of this the British one is called the new weird. Uh someone like the uh uh, China, China Mievo, like Perdido Street Station, Bracken, online, Kong, London, sit in the city, so he is trying to uh, connect all the fantastic stuff into the science fiction, so the boundary between fantasy and science fiction are blurring as well, so right. we don't have that kind of a strong or clear boundary, this is fantasy and this is not, and this is a science fiction and this is not, we don't have that kind of sense anymore.
0: And it's activity. speculative fiction now.
1: Right, yeah, we've got a new term for that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah,
1: the difference between the new wave and uh, the, uh, the British sci-fi boom. The new wave is very well studied actually, it's a very important movement in the global science fiction history. But the British sci-fi boom is less in in that case. I only got the name from my supervisor who was a huge science fiction fan when he was young. That, right. right. Yeah, he just got me. If you were looking into the Chinese science fiction movement in the 90s, we got the in the UK. And I told him, oh, really? I don't know. I heard nothing about that. Yeah, so because <laughs> mm-hmm. of translation stuff, because in China, uh, the publishers are only focusing on this kind of well-established writers and, and famous works. Uh, thing the story is in in the greatest form is less in China it's less known in China right. a lot of uh, proper translation as well so yeah, that's a shame
0: mm. as you were uh, going through the, your description of the different movements there, I thought of a couple parallels between the u k sci-fi writers and uh, Chinese ones. so the first one I think this was a book i of which I gave the elevator pitch to you um mm and possibly um, possibly our little group that went out to the pub afterwards, but definitely to yourself. Um, so it's JG G. Ballard's High Rise, which is another story that, just like, um, just like Folding Beijing, splits apart different segments of society by space, but it's even more segmented because it's in a new high-rise building, which I guess in post-war Britain was a new, almost a kind of sci-fi vision of the future, um, one that ended up failing. And his, his version is quite different from the failure that happens in his book is different from how it failed in, in reality. But in his version, every floor of the tower, yeah, the tower gets more upper class as you go closer to the top. And for reasons that uh, are not 100 percent realistic, society kind of breaks down and it ends up there's like an all out war between all the different floors, as well as an individualistic battle to the top. So if you want a more bloody version of Folding Beijing, <laughs> um you could go listeners could go looking for that. It is a really great book. J.G. bard's a great writer. Uh-huh. Um and then I think we talked about our mutual enjoyment of Ian Banks, uh uh-huh. a 90s boom sci-fi writer. And I have to big up him because he's a fellow Scot and, <laughs> and, a, and an amazing guy as well, um, who wrote great sci great sci-fi <laughs> sci- and great quote unquote literary fiction. But um, he's, I guess, if if you're more of a Leo Cixin kind of guy, like bigger scale, darker visions, he's your guy. I don't think he's really... They're not twins, but I think there's similarities between them.
1: I, I suppose a lot. they
0: something
1: very interesting between them. But
0: yeah, I can look into them.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think this, the thing that popped into my head about Leo there he at least in Three Body, he really contrasts like the power difference and capabilities between different Mm -hmm. societies that live in the universe. And that's a little bit of a theme in the culture books by Ian Banks, that some societies are just so advanced, it's hard to even comprehend compared Mm -hmm. with others who are closer to our level. But yeah, that's about the full extent of my thoughts there.
1: Um, The other C.
0: Clarke as well. Yeah, I've not read anything by him. I've only seen um, Space Odyssey uh, 2001, the movie. You read? The book? No. Uh, the only properly old side, well, I've, I've read the H.G. Wells stuff, mm. but the only like space opera, like the original Wave I've read, is uh, an Asimov book. Uh, which one? <laughs> oh, man, I forgot the name. It's the one where half the characters are like amoebas. Hmm. This is a really interesting one.
1: Because I was mentioning Alice Cloud for you, because you just mm-hmm. talked about this kind of a, uh, a, a civilization that it, it was so advanced beyond humans' imagination. This is a very important theme in Odyssey Cloud's story. And mm-hmm. one of examples is Childhood's End. Childhood's End. You heard about that? Childhood's End. Uh,
0: name rings a bell.
1: Okay, yeah. That, that was talking about uh there are two kind of aliens in there one of them called the overlord and the other one called the overmind the overmind is something uh, really up to your standards something beyond human imagination beyond mm-hmm. uh, conception in that case it's so advanced uh yeah yeah that's really interesting that's also very interesting because there's also kind of a hierarchy in that story the overmind is a at the top, overloading the overloading in the in middle, and the human beings as they at the bottom.
0: Interesting. Um, last recommendation on this point: um, if you can't be bothered, or if listeners don't want to read the um, the book of High Rise, the J.J. Ballard story, there's a pretty good film as well, um, which has some interesting versions of S.O.S. by Abba. So, if you like Abba, go watch that film. Um, on that note, I'll move to one of our last few questions. Mm -hmm. So this is going back to the symposium, um, this question. You touched on this when you mentioned one possible reason for non-Chinese people to read Chinese sci-fi might be exoticism. How this kind of exoticizing another country or its culture or its literature... However problematic it might be, it is one way that you can end up learning them or, or consuming their culture. So that's the, the, the related term that popped up the symposium a few times, it was techno orientalism, how like in Western pop culture, there's kind of an appetite or a taste for quote mark, East Asian visions of the future, quote mark. So if I describe it, you can probably, listeners can probably picture what I mean. Uh, lots of neon maybe robots, maybe rain falling at night, like in Blade Runner, uh, lots of anime stuff like Akira or Ghost in the Shell, a lot of stuff from Japan or maybe um, Hong Kong, like old Hong Kong style visuals, all that kind of aesthetic. And this a, a suspicion I had when I learned that Chinese sci-fi was a thing was that because the economic kind of baton or growth has shifted from Japan and Hong Kong to basically China, and megacities like Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, would they be the new vision of quote-unquote techno-orientalism? I don't necessarily think that will happen, because I think when I was doing my dissertation research, just about everyone I asked, I posed them this question. I said, um, is, rising, is a rising China and a rising Chinese economy going to translate to more appetite for Chinese fiction? And most of the answers were kind of doubtful at best. Um, do you have any thoughts academic or speculative or whatever about this yeah. question techno or, or,
1: orientalism yeah. is, uh, is is a new term but orientalism that's an older term in this case because if we can just move from orientalism to the techno or techno orientalism so but because for the orientalism Oh, the the so-called oriental area which is eastern Asia in that case or basically China India um, mm. kind of a, uh, are they they were put as a kind of a, uh, The image of otherness for the Western the so-called Western scholars to engage mm. the Western they are they are thinking about the Western discourse, but in that case the they the have to go some uh, different image from other places to support their idea or to 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 to, to base their idea on. So mm-hmm. that that place is China and India as the the image of otherness. So mm-hmm. autism tourism is uh, closely closely connected to 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 otherness. And so in that therefore uh, the techno and animalism is also kind of a. Uh, Arthur is also talking about the image of Arthur. It's China and Japan in this case because always got Hong Kong and, and Japanese cities, especially in, in Blade Runner, mm-hmm. Ghost in the show, and Akira, right? Yeah, most of the most of the South stuff uh, are based on, I think, basically the Japanese cities mm-hmm. or uh, or Hong Kong. or um, mm-hmm. So that is a way, I think it's kind of the depot- Japan and Hong Kong in the place of otherness, and try to use otherness to engage in some uh, 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 some sort of problems or some discussions uh, in the Western discourse. Mm-hmm. So China, because of the uh, developments in terms of everything, especially from the scientific stuff, there might be something more cyberpunkish, more cyber, more, more connected, to this kind of so-called techno-orientalism, I suppose so. I don't know, I have to read the stories, but uh, um, in either case, uh, this term techno-orientalism is uh, kind of a very, uh, we can't say colonial right now, it's not colonial anymore, but uh, it's still kind of, they're trying to find something different, trying to do something uh, of
0: otherness and to look Mm. back to the Western self. Yeah, yeah. That's what I say yeah. I think you've you've more or less got it there. I think, as well as it being an academic a thing that's used by Western academics, I'm I suppose me me as a consumer, it's an an interesting concept in terms of just like marketing how things are marketed or presented as an aesthetic rather than as a way of working things out. Nice. So like it is one thing my little my little um I don't know my little aestheticizing brain looks for in these <laughs> stories um. And I think, out of the Chinese sci-fi I've read, it's in it's in some things more than others. Um, but like you said, in the case of Folding Beijing, mm. it's pretty universal. Um, maybe just a few things like the swan la fun, and maybe the work ethic, the kid going to kindergarten to study music, basically. Those things are maybe local to China, but... None of them are especially cyberpunk. Maybe just the street food. The street food reminds me a wee bit of Deckard having his noodles at the start of um, Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think basically the... Maybe it's because these books are, and stories are being written by Chinese people. So of course it's not going to fit these Orientalist expectations. Of course it's going to be, I don't know, more tied to reality than dreams about the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, or we can think the other way, uh, whether we got some kind of a techno-occidentalism in China, Chinese Chinese fiction
0: stories. I don't mm. know. I just said yeah. the idea. <laughs> I think you you might be on something. Um, yeah. So like when I just read Waste Tide, there's a lot of engagement with them, um, I guess there, one of the main characters is an American working for, well spoilers, basically an evil corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget if it was waist Tide or folding Beijing, there was some line where an American character says, we have the best healthcare, the best science, the best technology or something. And me as a British person are like, wait, hold on a minute. (laughs) Shut up.
2: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. um,
0: So I think, yeah, based on like conversations I had with Chinese people, I think like, the vision of the occident often is a bit america centric or there's a little bit of overvaluing of certain things in western society um and are particular and they are from like the like the focus on education and technology and the opportunities you can get in the west maybe that's a case of uh, occidentalism but this is just me spitballing um i've not it's not something i've written about or thought about in any great depth
1: yeah yeah we we'll just try to equalize the the Occidental people, right? Some stories. <laughs>
0: um, I remember in, in Three Body, um, I was in, like, the when the the UN first gets together, I could feel a little bit of the Leotrichian's perspective. I think he's not too keen. I think he likes American sci-fi, um, but there's things about the West I think he finds hypocritical. So, like, I remember in Three Body, the French and American and British UN envoys are. Kind of selfish and hypocritical and i think they i don't know i think they don't get on well with the chinese characters and then there's a russian delegate and he's like a more normal down-to-earth guy yeah
1: (laughs) i I didn't notice the kind of nationality difference
0: (laughs) um yeah i could go on more about that Um, it's probably a topic for an episode on three body and i don't know if that's necessarily occidentalism but it bounces back the other way. That's one reason I like reading Chinese sci-fi. It's you're, it's going to be hard to find a Western book where a Russian character is normal and down to earth and all the more Western people are bastards. Um, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> but you can get that from Three Body, apparently.
1: Yeah, then you can try some Russian Russian sci-fi. Mm-hmm.
0: I have. I, I read um, Roadside Picnic uh, just this year. Do you know that one? Um. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, that's the one the movie Stalker is based on. Do you know that movie? I heard about that movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Okay. I will. I will talk to you about that off the show. Okay. Great. Right. Um. Speaking of off the show, here's a second last question. Uh What are you reading right now? And are there any books, Chinese or otherwise, you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
1: Well, what i am? Reading right now is basically about my next chapter. So it's, it's, it's a very sad thing to be in, mm. in science fiction because you can't read uh, totally out of your interest. You have to be yeah. in line with your research, your thesis, and your supervisor's requirement in that case. But, so, uh, but I, do, I, I really do have some recommendations um, I really do recommend Han story to everyone, mm. uh, but sadly, speak sadly, sadly, very unfortunately, his story is so is too difficult to be translated in many cases. So mm. the translation of story, of his story, is in a way, uh, we can talk about the untranslatability <laughs> from uh, with the case of Hanson's story, but. Mm.
0: I, I know um, I have two books on my bookshelf which have translation of his works. Um, Broken Stars, Ken Leo's anthology's got a Han yeah. Song story, and the Columbia University Press anthology, The Reincarnated mm-hmm. Giant. I think Reincarnated Giant's a Han. No, that's a Wan Jin Kang, isn't it? But there are some, there's at least one Han Song in there. I, that book's yeah. very expensive, though.
1: Well, basically, his story, his translated story, uh, short stories actually and right. his long stories are even more like even more inspiring because i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna incorporate uh his uh rest of america is one of the story and another one is uh, red ocean and and none neither of them has been translated uh so only the chinese version i'm afraid
0: mm-hmm. uh, I absolutely ab- to love to read his book underground uh DTL. But, DT is fantastic. Yeah, but it's I am not a Chinese fluent person, and <laughs> that's only available in Chinese. So either I learn the language first, or it gets translated first.
1: Um, DT is a subway. I think is available in English somewhere. But so, oh, really? Yeah, somewhere, but I'm not sure. I just got, I just saw the uh, because there was a kind of document uh, listing all the translated works the terms of fiction and DTA is one of the
0: oh I never managed to find it but you, you you're it. sure it's not in a different language like French or something? No in English. Right. Yeah. I need to I need to go on the hunt. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I saw it somewhere. But okay. I can't
1: recall right now.
0: Right. So Han Song, big big recommendation for Han Song. Yeah. Uh, final question. Uh, is there any of your own work or online platforms or other endeavours you'd like to promote before we say bye bye?
1: Um, my WeChat.
0: Yeah. What? What is it?
1: <laughs> Man, no, no, no. I mean, I'm WeChat for my reading group. Yeah. Uh,
0: and your post podcast.
1: Right?
0: Oh, I'll be doing that after after we're done. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. What is what is the WeChat group's uh, name that people can search for again?
1: Oh, uh, it's yeah. Uh, it's a WeChat ID for that group. It's called SF in London.
0: SF in London. Yeah. Okay. So that's what everyone in London or outside London should search up. If and is everything on on it posted in Chinese? In Chinese. Yeah. Okay. So do because be aware of that. You can write in English. It's so busy to to write in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs>
1: She can, she can get, she can get some some time to do it. So you can, if you are uh, really like to read something in, in English about our reading group, this is a very good excuse for me to push her to write the English versions.
0: <laughs> well, there is there is the Twitter and there is the mailing list as well. Those are in English or bilingual? Is that right? They are in English. The
1: Twitter, I think the, the, the name of the Twitter is London Chinese Sci-Fi Group.
0: Mm-hmm. And. So it's, that's where you, you can get all your information about that stuff. But um, Guan Zhao is absolutely lovely. If you reach out to him, I'm sure he'll tell you everything you need to know. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think that's about everything we've got time for. It's certainly all the questions on my, my notes have been amazingly answered. So I guess I'll just say thank you for being on the show, Guan Zhao. It's been well, fantastic you. having you. Thank you for inviting me among all the big
1: names. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Well... Yeah. I, um, I certainly find myself
0: like a bit,
1: a, a slightly a bit more confident
0: about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I should emphasize for listeners, although it's mostly been very brainy people like Guangzhou and very top of their game people like Nicky Harmon that have been on the show, anyone can be on. Um, I'm planning to have my dad on at some point, and he's, he's only read a couple books from China, but um, it doesn't have to be a, an expert show, because I'm not an expert. I'm a lot of the things I've learned have been via the podcast, talking to people like yourself. So yeah, um, if, if anyone has thought about being on but is afraid, don't be. That said, though, we have some awesome potential guests lined up for the rest of this sci-fi season. I won't make any promises, just in case uh, there's cancellations, but um, the plan is to get some offers. That's all I'll say for now.
1: That, was, that would be fantastic.
0: who mm-hmm.
1: really, really, came after me.
0: <laughs> yeah we shall see i'm not i'm gonna keep it a surprise <laughs> but um ha- have a great evening guanjal it's been fab having you on have a lovely weekend right so another thank you to guanjal for coming on the show what a fantastic guest he was i'm sure sure you'll all agree don't forget to go look up the london book club and show up to their events if you live in london if you don't It's still a great resource, you can get uh, write-ups online. Like we were saying, uh, mostly in Chinese, but the Twitter is a viable source of info, so is their mailing list. It's interesting stuff, good way to keep abreast of Chinese sci-fi in translation. The other plugs of course are all for myself, so keep tuned to the podcast for more sci-fi series episodes. If all goes according to plan, ominously, we've got very cool stuff. Very cool content. Very cool guests lined up. Uh, support the show, of course. You can contribute via the po- the Patreon and the uh, Buy Me a Coffee. There's all sorts of fun bonus content you get access to via the Patreon. Other ways to support the show: social media. Give us a follow on Instagram at Truthific, Twitter. You can follow me. I tweet mostly about the podcast, not exclusively uh, at Angus Likes Words. Those are great places to reach out to me and give me some feedback or questions if you want them read on the show. I will do so. Another fellow reached out to me on Instagram. Let me just find the account. There is a very good Chinese sci-fi account on Instagram. I'm stalling whilst I get it open. Beep, 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 boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, 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 beep. Where is it? Trisha Fick. Right. So the Chinese sci-fi uh, Instagram account that you should follow is at Sino Sci-Fi. S-I-N-O Sci-Fi. No hyphen in sci-fi. It's about Chinese sci-fi, mostly in film and other Chinese films, but there is a little touching on literature as well. Uh, It's run by Linus Fredrickson, also known, I guess, by a Chinese name. Linus Linlu. Lin-like forest, Lu-like road. He seems to be a very knowledgeable and sound chap, and probably worth reaching out to, or following if Chinese sci-fi is your cup of tea. So yeah, um, the other way to support the show, of course, is tell your dog, tell your robot waiter, tell the guy that cleans up your trash, because we are all members of this class system, society. Zaijian.